be prepared to literally not go on holiday for a year or two. Be prepared to spend a lot of time studying the marketplace for the for the business that you want to go into. Be prepared to potentially change the type of friendships you have because you're going to have negative people around you that won't support you through what you're doing. Be prepared to become a master of managing your finances and to taking, if you like, manage risks and to put things on the line like your time. Health, meaning you might have to sleep less on occasions. You're going to have to get up earlier and you may have to do conference calls at five, six in the morning. You might have to go out when you don't feel like doing it. You might have to sell yourself, sell your business, sell your your concepts, your ideas, stretch emotionally, physically. It's going to put a challenge and a stress on your personal life, your family life, in the sense that when you are building something passionately, you may have to put even more work and time in at the start of a business than you would be in your job, which is where so many people fail in the first two years because they go, fucking hell, this is, I feel like I'm doing more work than I was in my job. And, and the truth is, you actually might be. Hello, this is Dr. Rowe, and you're listening to the Growth Tribes podcast with Dr. Rowe and Harms. This is the podcast where two completely different generations tackle the most challenging topics that people are facing today. Above all else, the main reason that we chose to develop and record these podcasts is because we both have a passion for helping people go through life transformation, for improving their lives, for taking their lives to a completely different level. And it's our hope, our genuine sincere hope, that by the end of each of these episodes, you'll have gained at least one insight that you can take away and apply directly into your own life. Practical tools, voices that come in from both generations, the younger generation with tips and tools and the older generation with a sense of wisdom and experience so that you can help unlock your true potential to give the opportunity to make changes both on a personal, professional, financial and relationship level and to give you a chance to impact both your lives and the lives of other people around you. So we welcome you. Welcome to the Growth Tribes podcast. Hello, Growth Tribes listeners. It's Harms here. And today we've got a fantastic episode. Me and Ro have been speaking in the background and really just brainstorming this before we started to get to you. Now, the question we're going to be answering is the unspoken reality of pursuing wealth and multiple sources of income. So it's always a hot topic, this. But before we dive into the podcast and the three parts we're going to break this podcast into, Dr. Rose got a special message for you. So just hang on. We'll be back right after this message. Hello and greetings. It's Dr. Rowe here. Now, before we start the podcast, I'd like to invite you to join me on an incredible three-day event called Communicating with Impact. If you're wondering who this might be for, probably the best way to describe it is to ask you the question, are you a parent wanting to communicate more effectively with your children? Do you run a business and you want to attract more money into your business, more clients, increase your sales in your business? It might be that you're in a career and you want to climb the corporate ladder, be more effective as a communicator, get to senior levels, be able to ask for pay rises. It might be that you want to be a professional speaker, want to increase your skills on a stage, or possibly you're a coach. You might run a network marketing business and you want to attract more people into your 
your business. You actually may be a property investor wanting to attract more money from angel investors. In fact, if you're listening to this right now and you have any desire to improve your relationships with people on an intimate level, personal level, professional level, or you want to simply increase your business, your turnover and your ability to impact people more effectively, then I do encourage you to join me because I've spent 30 years in front of hundreds of thousands of people and I've developed a system of 38 components which anyone can operate with, anyone can apply no matter what your background. It is a passionate, inspirational, motivational and information packed event where you learn how to engage people, how to grab their attention, how to get a message across quickly in any situation, whether it's one person or 10,000 people. So what do you do next? Go to www.drrow.tv forward slash CWI. Go have a look at the booking page there, find out more about it and then get yourself registered and come and join myself and Harminder at the next CWI event. Dr. Rowe signing out. Hey Ro, so the question we're talking about is the unspoken reality of pursuing wealth and multiple sources of income. So I've sort of explained that we're going to break this into three parts. What are those three parts for the listeners at home? Yeah, I mean, this is a great topic. I think as we're recording this, this is incredibly important. You've heard me talk quite often about the cycles the economy goes through every seven to 10 years. We're hitting a recession. You can't fight that. It's part of the global cycle of economy. And we, as we're recording it, are going into that next, what I certainly believe to be the next big recessionary period. So anyone listening to this, pursuing wealth, multiple sources of income without a shadow of a doubt. In my mind, it has to be something you've got to consider. The question is, are you ready for it? Do you want to do it? Is it something you're interested in? Is it something you're passionate in? So I think the best way to break this down, because we've got a lot to cover in a short space of time, and both you and I are entrepreneurial, we're both independent through our own financial strategies. Let me sort of throw this out and see what you think. I think part one needs to be, are you ready for it? Are you ready to pursue wealth? Are you ready for multiple sources of income? So that's part one. Part two is the reality of it. (laughs) What's it really about? You know, you hear all this stuff on the Internet and you see all these flashy adverts. And I I go into YouTube and suddenly there's a a paid advert and there's some slick young guy at about a third of my age. He's not even a millennial. And he's like, yeah, come and do this and you'll be completely financially free. And hey, look at me. I'm on a beach in the Caribbean. And I did this all this in the last week (laughs) or something like that. Yeah. So there's part two is the reality of it. Part three is tough questions to ask before you even start it. I am a passionate, passionate follower of coaching. I love to coach. I love to do interventions, as you know. And I think the most important tool any coach or self-coaching person should have are questions. And that is an amazing tool. So I'm going to be throwing out some tough questions. I know you're going to be doing the same thing. I think if we do it that way, we can leave the listener, those of you listening right now, with at least a kind of feeling of, right, okay, these guys have kind of stripped this back. But at least I know what to ask myself. You've talked about this already, Harms. If we can then go off and maybe look at this separately in different podcasts, business, property, etc., we can go into a lot more depth. But today is really ripping off the lid and looking at the truth of it. How does that sound? That sounds fantastic. And what I love about this is because we have almost at some point, both me and you at different times in our lives, asked ourselves this question, which is, you know, okay, it's time for me now, or should I be pursuing wealth? Should I be pursuing multiple sources of income? Because at some point in our lives, both of our lives, we wanted to make a financial change. Yes. And we probably asked ourselves an important question like, Uh, Am I ready to step out the job? Am I ready to step out the career and make this financial change? And at some point in both of our lives, the answer was yes. 
So yeah. if you listen to this at home, um, you're in safe hands because both of us have done it. I'm almost still going through the transition. Ro, you did it many years ago now. I did it 22 years ago. Wow. When you would have been about eight. <laughs> <laughs> you hadn't even got a hair. I mean, now you've got a face full of hair. You've got literally no hair on your face. So, yeah, it was 1997 going to 1998. I made that step. Wow. That's when it was not cool. That's when there was no ads yep. every three seconds yeah, yeah, jumping yeah. in your face saying, hey, you can become financially independent. You can become rich within seven days. You can make a hundred thousand US dollars, whatever the adverts are saying at the moment in, you know, the first year and things like that. That just did, wasn't really around in your generation. Is that fair? Uh, actually, I mean, just uh, we hadn't planned to cover this, but tr if I paint you a picture, I'm 20... 25 to 26 years of age when I got my PhD, maybe a little bit earlier than that, actually. And when I came out with my PhD, I went into my career and I just in the first week in my job, honestly, I was like, what the am I doing here? I do not want to be here. I've pursued this whole academic climb to the corporate ladder. Bear in mind that during my PhD, I had started a network marketing business. I had set up a separate retail business selling jewelry to women. <laughs> I tried playing around with buying and selling bits and bobs. I was just exploring different ways to generate cash. This is through my early 20s in my PhD. I then go into my career, at which point I start another network marketing business and I start to trade the stock market. So back in those days, you bought a certificate, you bought a share certificate or how many of you wanted, and then you'd have to sell it back out through a broker on a phone. It's none of this stuff you could do on the internet right now. So I'm sat there, I'm in my late 20s and I am pissed off. I'm thinking I've got to get out. I'm reading personal development. I'm attending events. I'm listening to different speakers. I'm listening to people like Les Brown on a tape player in my little mini that I had at the time. And man, I just wanted to get out. So I was already in that state where I was ready, but we did not have advertising. We didn't have the internet. Everything was snail mail and you just had to go and drive around or, or find out where there was an event going on and try and learn from that. There was nothing like we have today. Nothing at all. But I was absolutely determined to leave. And the natural step for me, if you're looking at the Robert Kiyosaki model, which is the cash flow quadrant, and if anyone's not know what it is, it's basically four quadrants. Top left is E for employee. Bottom left is self-employed. Top right is business owner. Bottom right is investor. I wanted to go from E to S. That's all I knew. I, I didn't even think beyond that. I just wanted to get out of my job. And the natural thing for me was to go and become a consultant and start to start be self-employed as a business from that point. So that was my starting point. I think that was 1997, 1998. I had no can idea what I was doing, but I had a mentor at the time who was a consultant. He was the number one in the world. And I knew what he was charging per day, which I think was like a thousand pound a day, something like that, 1500 pound a day. And I thought, hey, great. Maybe I can just charge a third of that three, four, five hundred a day and get going. And, and I wouldn't have to work as much as I'm currently working right now. I think when I left my career, I was making £20,000 per year, which is mm. ri ridiculous. If you think about it, I had a PhD. I was 27, 28, 29 years of age, thereabouts, maybe 29, 30, actually, from memory. I've lost track. But anyway, well, the feeling is after that amount of time specializing and studying to have that £20,000 a year, is almost like wow, was that worth it? Well, I started. I started at fifteen. It was. It was just gut wrenching because I just thought, crikey! But you didn't question it back in those days. Yes, but you're a young engineer. You know, you must work very, very hard. So yeah. it's like work hard. 
don't focus on the income. Focus on the fact you're going to start to get your points, your your continued professional development, and you've got to get chartered civil engineer status. Get your hours in. You know, just go out, get the experience. Eventually, after 10 to 15 years, you're climbing the corporate ladder, you'll get to senior management, possibly director. And I just looked around and said, uh-uh, do not want this. As much as I loved what I did in terms of my PhD element, the rest of it didn't interest me. I, I just couldn't see myself there for life. I used to look ahead and think, I was reading all the stuff on personal development, on business, even at that stage then. So I, I unconsciously, emotionally, I'd left the job when I started the job on <laughs> day one. <laughs> so for me, though, I unconsciously left the job. I almost was done with it. For me, it was about year seven, year eight into oh, the wow. job. Okay. Because I wasn't aware of all of those things you described, personal development. The idea that, you know, individuals can go ahead and start a business. They can go build a property company. I just wasn't really aware of those things. I just thought that's for a select few people on this planet who just are either gifted or they were born with money uh, or whatever. So I was like, you know, I'm really talented at my job, getting promotions, engineering position. It was only until I saw that, oh my God, it's almost somebody just, you know, opened my eyes and said, there's other stuff out there. And that was with a few books that just landed on my desk and then coming to meet yourself as well. And you said, look, there's other ways to do this. So when I hit year 10, I was like, I am done. So the question I asked is, then is, am I happy in my job? Do I want to continue in this job for the rest of my life, for the rest of my career? And the answer for me was no. So I had to do something else, which is the multiple sources of income. Give us an age. So you, so as a young millennial, you would have been, I met you about 25, I think, but you had already got the angst, what, a year or two before that? About two years before that. So about 23 years old, because I had gone into an apprenticeship route. I'd been working since the age of 16, 17 in my uncle's garage. And then I, I did some office work for another uncle. So they, they took me on summer jobs. And some of it I enjoyed, but I started to get into the working habit and making some sort of money early on. Then I went into an apprenticeship route. And then I was like, okay, this is exciting because as part of the apprenticeship part of the work environment is so social, you know, you're learning on the job, you're learning all of these incredible skills and you're hanging around with all these awesome people who are all of the same age as you. So you've got a social side to this apprenticeship. But then once you're put into the workplace, suddenly it's like, oh, where's all my friends gone that I, I knew from the apprenticeship? Well, actually, we've all been scattered across the country. Now we're in the workplace. And that didn't take me long. I mean, it was about five years. And I was like, I'm, this is, I can't keep doing this. This doesn't matter to me anymore. It's not very meaningful to me. I need yeah. to be doing something different. And I think, yeah, yeah, if you're listening to this right now, there are two different voices here. I grew up when you stuck your head down and didn't really question stuff. So when I was even questioning it, I got looked at. I was questioned myself by people that were older than me. And I didn't have any real source of inspiration apart from going to seminars. If I go back seven years for you, which is when you're 22, 23, we, by then YouTube was up. Facebook was operational. There was definitely more opportunity to see people online trying new things. I think that would yeah, be fair to say, wouldn't I it? I think the spread of stories and success stories became very common in the era I was growing up. Yeah, and now, now it's hit a peak. I feel like it's hit a peak right now. But that comes with a risk and that comes with a challenge. But we'll talk a bit later in the podcast. So it comes with risk. So almost at my age, you know, people were like, just give it a go. Go for it. You know, you know, look at this person. They did this. Look at this person. They did this. And it's like, 
okay, yeah, because they are success stories. But naturally, the challenge is their one success story compared to however many who didn't quite make it. But we're, we're going to talk about that because there's, there's ways you can mitigate against that and actually become your own version of that success story. Yeah. So, I mean, it's quite good to paint a picture for both of us where we were at. Interestingly mm. enough, we actually got to the same space around the same time, albeit me slightly later in age because I did my PhD first. So my five to seven year lead up would have been through my PhD. Yours was actually in a career but I observe now, and it's interesting to see people listening to this, I observe that definitely people are now younger and getting that sense of, I just don't want to do this anymore. I'm pissed off. I'm, I'm ready to get out. Whereas back in my day, I was an exception to that. Honestly, in my profession, no one was leaving in their late 20s. I mean, I was just seen as a maverick. Mm. In fact, my exit interview was like two directors, not just one, two of them sat me down and said, why are you doing this? You should be climbing the corporate ladder. We've got you streamlined for directorship, blah, blah, blah. You know, you're too young. If you're going to go out on your own, you should be like 10, 15, 20 years from now. And you've had more experience in the industry. Most consultants at the time were great, gray hair, no hair. I mean, seriously, they were like 45, 50 years of age. We were the youngest. In fact, two of us broke out, me and a, and a dear friend of mine who was about three years older than me, still close friends with him now. He was a kind of a mentor to me. We were complete mavericks. He's West Indian. I'm half Asian. And they used to call us the two docs. So we'd do all of our consultancy together. We'd fly all over the world. And when we used to walk through the door in to meet the clients, they just double took. Number one, we were probably <laughs> 20 to 25 years younger than some of the people that were engaging us as consultants. And secondly, one black, one Asian. It's just fucking unheard of. We absolutely broke the mold. It was crazy. I love that. I love that. Because it was somebody trying to put you in a box and, and say, no, 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 you've got to live by these rules. This is exactly what's happened. And this is a, almost a common big corporate business thing that's entrepreneurs, people of my age are saying, actually, no, we don't have to build a business like that. You know, when we talk about the difference between what's a business owner or the classic term needs to be called businessman or whatever, whatever that was, but a business owner versus a entrepreneur and almost a social entrepreneur or a philanthropist who's focused on building an enterprise for a social cause, they are almost tearing up those rules that your seniors at the time were saying, no, Dr. Rohan, this is not how you do it. You have to do it like this way. So what I love about my generation right now is we have more, we have that spirit that you had, but you was, there's only a few of you back then, Rogue. I feel like there's more of us now who have embodied that spirit and just saying, actually, we're going to tear up the rule book because you don't have to do it this way. Yeah, it's a completely, I love what millennials are doing. They're just jumping on it. It's the question of what are you jumping on? Mm. And are you picking the right vehicle? Is it the right vehicle for you? Or are you just going for the shiny coin syndrome? Exactly. And I think the main question I think we should now dive into is, are you ready for it? So whether yes. they're a millennial, whether they're from your generation, the main question is, are you ready for it? So what's the best way to approach that? I think just ask a lot of today will be about me asking questions and by all means is jump in, add to it or ask me what I mean by that. So if you're listening to it right now and you're actually at a point where you're thinking, you know what, I'm, feel, I'm frustrated, I'm pissed off. I actually do want to do something different. I'll just ask you a few questions and I'll just throw it out there. I mean, I think some of this might go into the notes, but the questions that I would ask are uh, just stop me or jump in at any stage, Harms, would be, yeah. are you happy in your job? Does your job make you feel complete is that who you are does it define who you are does it make you feel fulfilled so the job is important but separate to that and you might argue that the same thing but i don't think they are is are you happy in your career so you might be in a job that's 
in a particular career, is that going in the right direction for you? So the job is one thing, enjoying the functionality, like you had your career as a, sorry, you had your job as a railway engineer, correct? Correct, yes. But the career for that would have been railway engineer climbing the corporate ladder to ultimately become, what would it have been if you kept going? What would have been the career for you? Well, my career projection was almost like a, a senior director of a region. So it would be moving beyond the engineering phase to becoming like almost managing my own business, but within that organization. So right. as, as a would, salary, as a salaried role, though, as a salaried role and right. probably top end, you know, we're talking about the 100K ish mark. And that was also the big challenge. So, you know, one of the things is, OK, I was happy in my job, but was I happy with the income ceiling in this job? And the answer to that was no, because right. I was quite close to it. You know, I was quite close to it. And I was thinking, my goodness, I'm quite close to it. And I've still got 40 years or whatever left of work to do. Am I happy with that ceiling? And the answer yeah, was well, no. I mean, isn't it crazy to think that in the digital marketing business you operate, one client could generate 100 grand a year? Absolutely. One client can generate that. And <laughs> it just shows you. And I wasn't even aware of that when I was in the job. I didn't realize that it was one client would be paying a business or a, a group of, and that's not just me as an individual we got co-founders etc but a group and they'll be paying them that to provide a service because that service is so valuable so that was a big wake-up call for me and you yeah. know in the same as real estate property you stack up of you know four or five hmos houses of multiple occupancy and you have the same results Exactly. Or as a professional speaker, you go out for two or three days and you generate 100K that way. So there's just so many different opportunities. It's not about money for those of you listening, but it's just about, let me work down the list. So actually income does come in there. So the career and the job are different. Growth is another question. Are you getting enough growth? Are you emotionally developing within the job that you're in? Are you growing intellectually? Are you growing emotionally? Are you growing as a person? Because I think that all of us, myself included over the years, can get stuck in something because you're comfortable and it pays well or it doesn't stretch or challenge you and you can stay there for longer than you need to and you can also find yourself in that situation as an entrepreneur if you're working for certain clients I've experienced that myself so the patterns can reoccur but in a job it's more challenging because you're you're never going to outgrow business unless you physically or the job you're in unless you physically develop yourself you'll always stay confined by that so and job, I think that's a big one row for my generation right that feeling of am I going to work and am I fulfilled with the company's missions, the company's values? Am I developing on a daily basis? Am I being stimulated? Is there a social aspect associated with this career? Are there the correct perks? And, and it's not always financial. I mean, my generation are seeking that level of fulfillment. And I think that's a big thing that I'm seeing in people's career. They're just like, they just get bored so quick. And that's not necessarily their fault it means the roles that are still in existence within businesses are not helping people expand that's on the company as well as the individual i do think actually whilst we're on this point is don't underestimate that over the long term short term mm. dangled an extra 10k a year in a job you go yeah yeah screw the fucking growth you know what the 10k is going to pay for a trip to the maldives this year we'll just blow the money or whatever that is an easy place to focus. But if you're thinking about as a human being, and I think millennials are definitely moving into that emotional development, personal growth phase where they want more than just the salary. They want more than just a career they're pursuing. So you've picked on a good point there, actually. Time with family. So again, remember the question is, are you ready to make a change? So my question is, well, first of all, are you happy in your job? Are you happy with the career, growth, emotional development? Do you feel you have enough time with your family? Are you are you planning to have kids? If you are, does the career, the job allow you to do that? If it does, great. But if it doesn't, then there's question marks. 
Another question is income. Are you getting enough income? Can you increase your income? Does this job, this career have the opportunity? You talked about a ceiling there, 100 grand, whatever. You know, is that, it might be fine. I mean, it could be you and your partner get into two separate careers, hitting 85, 90, 100K a year, whatever it is. That's 200 grand a year coming in. Hey, you know what, Dr. O, Harms, we're happy with that. We're fine. That's fantastic. But ask these questions now such that you don't find yourself in five to 10 years thinking, oh my God, I thought I was going to get more than this. And I think every career that I'm aware of has a ceiling unless it's linked to share options or a commission type structure, typically. And, you know, share options always all depend on the business growing. And I've known people get offered on share options and then suddenly it's been back a year, back a year, back a year. And bonuses based on commissions is all about performance for that year. If you don't perform, it might be the next year that your income comes down. And what if you built your lifestyle to that? And then, of course, the next couple of years, you don't earn the same income. So your lifestyle suddenly reduces. Long-term wealth uh, is another Long-term wealth, yeah. I I mean, this, I think, is the biggest one. And I think this is this is where, Ro, just to jump in, which is if somebody is, you know, you listen to this and you're saying, actually, Ro, I'm I'm exactly that person, what you just said. Me and my partner are happy. We're happy in the job. We're happy to see out our career because it gives us the income it also gives us the emotional development you know i get those time with family and things like that but this is the part where rose now talking about hang on hang on and continue to listen to this because we're talking about multiple sources of income we're talking about income which can be generated to boost your finances that could potentially be used in other ways in the future is that where we're going to be going with this yeah it has to be because that's the one question mark over any job is is it creating long-term wealth and it might be it might be that you're just stacking away everything you earn apart from your basic living costs and you are putting it in a bank but then of course what do you do with that money so that's another conversation for possibly another podcast in itself have you got the ability to build equity into your life so or have you built equity into your life you've spent 10 15 20 years or you're about to spend 10 to 15 to 20 years working for this company pursuing this career is there equity there in other words what if you stopped what is the value of all those hours all those minutes all the pain the blood the sweat are you able to walk away and say i'm walking away with equity i'm taking something with me i'm giving up the job and with that comes half a million or two million or a passive income of this very rare anyone going into a job is actually building equity whereas if you build a business you build equity into that business such that when you leave it there's an ongoing passive income it could be sold ongoing concern it can be capitalized up and sold you know into the marketplace whatever most people in a job aren't really building equity i think that's a really big one just to pause on for a minute because i don't think you and your career with all the years that you put into that job walked away with having built any personal equity for yourself would i be none, right none whatsoever yeah and i think it wrote well, with personal equity, are we talking financial equity or can somebody walk away from their career, from their job with a different form of equity in terms of fulfillment? Is that a possibility? Uh, well, there's three, really. There's one is financial equity, which I think very few people do. Two is personal growth. I, you, now, so when I became a consultant, the, the equity I'd built in was my PhD and X number of years in the industry. Now I'm going to go and sell myself. So that was the one thing I did have equity in terms of me as a person, I don't think I particularly grew in my job. I actually just every minute in my lunch breaks, in the evenings, I would read personal development books. I would go to events. I would go to seminars not related to my work. So I built my personal development equity outside of my job. I built my experience. That was the one thing I took. I think that's fair to say if anybody that's been in a career, same thing with you. But the problem you've got is that equity has to be applicable to the new career you're going into. So my first, if you like, 
stop after leaving the job was to go self-employed. All those years of knowledge and equity went into being a consultant. But that would not have helped me as a property investor. It would not have helped me as a trader. It would not have helped me of writing books. It would not have helped me develop a personal development brand. It was only equity related to that career. In the same way, you would have had equity as a railway engineer and managing lots of people and developing projects. But that didn't yeah. necessarily play out in what you're doing right now. Yeah, makes sense. And that's a, that's a fair point. So, Ro, there's two scenarios here. Number one is they're not happy with their job. What yeah. do they do? And number two, they are happy. What yeah. should they do? Right. So remember, we're trying to establish, are you ready to go off and pursue multiple sources of income, become wealthy or pursue wealth? So if you love your job and your career, fantastic, brilliant, stay there, but apply yourself, master it. Make sure that you consider some of the things I've talked about and Harmin has talked about. Maybe if you're really loving it, I would pursue an increase in salary grow yourself, develop yourself, and at the same time, create some security. Do something parallel. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It doesn't have to be starting another business, but it could be putting some assets in place or putting your money into commodities. Like, for example, gold might be an example. And this is not financial advice, but that's what certain people do. Or you might say, hey, guess what, Ro, over the next five years, I reckon I could save up enough money to buy maybe one or two investment properties. Okay, great. We'll talk about that in a minute. That could be something to do. But do what you do. Do it well. Do it with passion and stay focused on that if you love what you do and you're happy at the moment. That would be my first point. I love that. I think that's almost the human mission. It's just if you've got something you're passionate about, you wake up and you love it every single day, then just do it. Just do it. But make sure I totally agree with what Ro was saying. Make sure because when we go into the reality part of business, those assets and that form of security is going to be essential to almost keep you afloat sometimes. Yeah, and I'm almost teasing for parts of the reality. Yeah, yeah. With some of the statistics I'll show you later. Now, let's say, Ro, they are not happy with their job. What's the okay. steps for them? All right. Well, I'm going to use you as a bit of a guinea pig. So, the question I've got then is if you're not happy with the job, my first question is what's the outcome that you want in your life if you're not wanting a job and you're wanting to pursue something else, whatever that something else is? And we're talking about wealth and multiple sources of income. So I'm going to throw some thoughts out there. And then as I'm doing that, I'm going to swing it back to you, Harms, as a millennial who was in that space, you know, which elements of what I'm about to mention for you kind of resonated and maybe paint us a picture. So here's some things to consider for all the listeners. Number one, you know, are you wanting more freedom of time? Why does the idea of leaving your job give you the option and the choices to do that? Are you wanting to be more self-directed? You just want more control over your life. Do you want, you've heard how Minda talk about this, is just want an unlimited earning capacity. Is it like, now I can only get to 50, 80, 100, 150, but I want unlimited earning capacity. Do you want to just simply be your own boss in control of your own time, your own choices? You may have a skill or an idea or a business or something which gives you global reach. So do you like the idea of having global reach? Just start thinking about, the big picture now. I'm, I'm out of my job. What is it I want then? Do you want to take advantage of tax benefits? Do you want to be more tax efficient? And it might be that in your country you're listening to this, there's actually more tax efficient benefits to you by being in a business. Do you just want a completely different lifestyle to the one you've got? Because the one you've got is not how you saw yourself five, ten years ago. And I mean, for me, a big one has always been a legacy for your family. Is it that you want to build equity? You want to leave something so that when you leave your job, there's nothing for them. Whereas if you leave your wealth, your business, your multiple source of income, your children have the ability to have a lifestyle that maybe you didn't have when you were a child. There's just so many different pictures you can paint yourself. At which point, tell us what yours was, Harms, when you got to that point. 
I love that, Ro. And and I think for listeners at home, the reason we can Ro can download that list and share that is because <laughs> you've had so many people come to you for wealth education, financial education, and just almost breaking the mold, changing the rule set, climbing out of the box and exploring new things that these are the common things that people come at you with when you ask them the question, you know, if you want out the job, why are you doing this? What's the outcome? So they're almost listening these things to you. So what's really interesting is it's not just in a wealth event as well. So we run the Communicating with Impact mm. program, which you know, and it's a phenomenal. There's nothing else like it in the world. And people come from all over. They come from their careers. They come from charities. They run businesses. Their parents, their youngsters coming through in their late teens, right through to elderly people. And one of the things we ask people to do is articulate their vision of the future because if you're going to communicate with impact you've got to be able to communicate on a personal level an emotional level on a business level and one of the common themes that comes out is the aspirational communication that people have and a lot of it is about the future and then I say okay so if you were leaving your job or when you were leaving your job or now you've left your job talk to us about the outcome that you wanted so you're right a lot of this comes from other people it's not me although some of these were me but actually this I mean I could probably list another 30 things there <laughs> yeah but but yeah. let's go back to you so when you yes. you sat there you're in the career and then you made that decision to step out yes you came and watched me on the property side but I think prior to that you already start to put yourself into that state paint a picture for us what was the outcome that would was contrary contrastingly different to your career at that time my goodness so if you just imagine yourself in my career the peak of it was being on a conference call at 7 a.m but because I was one of the lead people in the conference call that I would have to be prepared for that conference call so the conference call would start preparation would really need to be me flicking through my emails in bed at about 5 36 a.m and if I hadn't I would be on the conference call unprepared and, you know, if you're on a conference call, I'm prepared with seven, eight other senior people. It's embarrassing. So that couldn't that was not an option. <laughs> so 7 a.m. Now I had a choice. Did I want to get to the office for 7 a.m., which means I'd have to prepare and manage the commute. Now, the role that we're in, you know, railway engineering, the firefighting of the railway, making sure it, it's a safe running infrastructure at the time when I was there, it was a case of. Okay, great. I've, I've, I've done all my work today. I feel great. It's two o'clock. But then the emergency strikes at 2.30 just before you're about to leave. Now, that emergency, because of the position I was in at the time and depending on what role you're playing, many of the people around me was going through the same thing, which was now they get dragged to 5.30. Then it's 6.30. Okay, the emergency is still not over. 7.30. Now we have to report that emergency. At some point, I had to get home. And this really started to hit me well when I got married. I got married, living with my beautiful wife. We just, you know, moved into a new home together, starting to enjoy our life together as a married couple. And then I was on call. Now, my on-call hours is 24 hours every four weeks. Now, that really started to affect us when it was 24 hours every four weeks and I was on a night shift, which meant I was sleeping in the living room downstairs. So mm -hmm. this is where I was. So the contrast which I wanted was just freedom of time, just so I can say, Today, I'm going to wake up at nine o'clock or today I'm going to wake up at eight o'clock, have a coffee, take an hour to get ready to do whatever I'm passionate about in the morning. So the passion came later. But for me, it was just a freedom of time mm. to dictate my time and not have somebody else say, because there's a conference call at seven o'clock every single day, you have to be on that conference call 
every day at seven o'clock no excuses it's like mm, okay thanks for dictating literally hour by hour in my day that, yeah. can i just jump in there i think there's an insight into this and for if you're listening to this and you're thinking yeah but i've got a role like that and it's exciting i get to solve problems i get to help people out i get significance i get recognized for it in the job and i'm sure you would have got that that's all great i'm gonna i would challenge somebody who said that to me and say yeah at that moment in time but when you add that up that is an ongoing firefighting lifestyle there is no actual purpose to it apart from fulfilling that role helping people in that role and doing the job it's not necessarily helping you pursue your own purpose in life now i don't want to sound like i'm ripping anybody's job apart and i mean i guess i'm talking to you as well Hamid. had i been speaking to you at the time which i kind of did when i first met you but it comes back to the first set of questions, which were all about you as an individual, because it builds so much significance. You feel so important when you're doing that a freaking year or two, because I had the same thing as a civil engineer, not quite as intense as you, where it was more when we were on site. But you drop, especially as a bloke, you drop everything. And for two, three, four hours, that is all consuming, isn't it? It's just all consuming. You feel great as well. Yeah, exactly. You feel great. And then afterwards, but what happens is that greatness over time that's when you start to get adrenal burnout. And I won't go into that because the whole conversation separately, but this is when people start to get flatlined, tired, jaded, and then you start to question, hell have I just been doing for the last five years? So I was going to say, Ro, that was awesome. And it was so much fun in, the, in year one when I could be innovative. But once you hit almost an innovative ceiling in here, try to do that for four years. And then it's like, oh God, I don't want, don't ever tell me about the time 7 a.m. ever again. I just don't want to hear it. So if somebody says a word conference call to me, I start to panic. Unless it's with my team, who <laughs> we approach it very differently now. You know, that's almost an intentional thing. But I was seeking, so going back to the original question, I was at that point in time. So if you're listening, you know, rewinding now the five, six years, at that point in time, it was freedom of time. Now, what I just want to add here, where is for those listening and and I think it's a nice way to transition into what does that look like as you go forward? Because these are the outcomes. So I went from a road. This is you may not be aware of all of this as well. So I went from wanting freedom of time to then wanting travel. So once we got freedom of time, it was, OK, let's travel. So we traveled. You know, we did holidays, which were 30 days long, a month and a half long. And that feeling is now gone. So, OK, you know, we know we can travel. We experience new places. Then it was the Okay, now we're getting really into business. We're understanding how things work and how property works. There is an unlimited income ceiling. Amazing. So that's one of the pursuits right now. But where I am now as a person, and if you're listening to this at home, this is actually a beautiful place to be. If you're a creative like me is I just get to explore. Every day just feels like new ideas, new concepts, new things we're trying. And one cool thing is, the aim was to be full-time parents. So that's something we're building into our life as well. So these are all the things that you'll be working to. And I think it evolves over time. Is that fair, Ro? Because it I know does. you listed the whole things, but at the start, it was freedom of time. Once you get that, you're not going to stand there, wake up and just look at your clock all day. You're going to do something. You're going to fill your time with something. It's a push-pull question. We're driven by pain or we're pulled by a desire to achieve something. And I think for you, it's a combination of both those things. Yes. And over time, the more you move away from the pain of where you were, your motivation has to change, it has to shift. It has to vary in the sense that you're now moving towards aspirational type drive as opposed to pain type drive. Now, that's not to say in business, you're not going to get pain. We all do experience it. I've experienced this this year. And that pain then is a reminder 
any sort of pain reminds you you're alive. When people get into a painful place, they say, at least you're still breathing. <laughs> to be able to feel pain means that you are still breathing. You're not six foot under. You're not in a cemetery right now. You're alive. Having said that, once you're out of the pain, it's about keeping the drive. And that's where the pull comes in, which is what's happened to you. You're now pulled by aspiration as opposed to getting away from conference calls in the morning at six mm. o'clock or seven o'clock in the morning. So, yeah, good. I like that. OK, so what we've got here is that first part is, are you ready for it? So as you're listening to this, it's a good point. I know you're listening and you're going to carry on listening through the rest of the podcast. But go away, reflect on this and ask yourself that question. Are you ready for this? If you are. We need to get to part two. And part two is, what is the reality of it? So do you want me to go over to you to tackle it first and then come back to me? What would you like to do? I think let me just talk about where we are in a current situation in society with this element, which is what is the reality of it? And I think this comes really well from the information that is being advertised to people out there online where, you know, it's everybody can become an entrepreneur overnight. And I think this is just a challenge that the millennials face because one of the things that millennials are fed up with is the classic conventional workspace. So let me give you a quick example of somebody who broke out there. When I went on my 10-day silent meditation retreat last year, I met somebody pretty cool and I really enjoyed and resonated with his story because he said he'd been working for a corporate, but he wasn't a natural entrepreneur himself, but he wanted to work with natural entrepreneurs. So he went and moved his well-paying career with career perks and all that stuff that you get with it to work with an entrepreneur startup company where there was two founders and he was basically working in the company from the ground up. And that was actually a vegan food company and now it's absolutely exploded. So I must WhatsApp him and say, well done. But what the point I'm making is this person didn't necessarily buy into the concept of you're going to get rich immediately they bought into the concept of you know i want to be around this entrepreneurial spirit that same spirit where you described when you broke away to try something different from your conventional career yeah so what i'm saying is the upfront the sales and marketing and it's it's worthwhile being aware of this because the sales and marketing of get rich quick or you know you become a millionaire overnight and it's so easy to do there's a two-step process and you become a millionaire those are advertised and they're going to be even more heavily advertised as millennials get even more frustrated with their careers and workplaces and i guess even your generation row who want to change and i think the reason we grab onto these probably number one is the human condition is just blasé to the fact that things are actually hard work and it's just to take the path of least resistance so if i'm looking at if i say I've got a chance to work with Ro. Ro's going to be, he's, he's saying it's realistic. You know, if you follow this path, you follow this guidance, this coaching, this mentoring, you know, in real estate or, you know, mastering the art of communication, it will help you develop your career over a two to five year period. Now, you've got a choice. You can work with Ro and you've got somebody's, you know, oh my God, um, immediately they're thinking, blimey, it's going to take two to five years. Okay. But then if somebody else ne- next to you, Ro, says, uh, you know, oh, I can streamline that. I can I can sort that out for you in a month. Yeah. Naturally, the person's going to go for the month, but there's no reality or substance behind that. And I think that's something listeners need to be aware of. And there's a whole bunch of things we've got to question when it comes to, and we're going to talk about the vehicles uh, later in the podcast that you should, you, you know, you could explore and possibly add to your multiple streams and sources of income. But one of the things I want us to be aware of is, as millennials, is, 
that's basically can be summed up in one phrase, which is a shiny penny syndrome, you know, going for, you know, the shiny coin. And that's something we really need to be cautious of because the right way to do it is follow the path where somebody's looking at Roe and Roe says, you know what, this takes two to five years. It's going to be intensive learning period. Yeah. But you need a plan. You need a structure. You need to get support, some guidance, some mentoring, some coaching along the way. And make sure you've got that support as you build this. And why that's important is the statistics around failure in multiple sources of income or even business is astounding. So, Ro, before I throw some crazy statistics at the listeners, do you have anything you want to add to that? I think everything you've said is spot on. It's there's a maturity needed to go into any business. Now, that's not to say that you know, look at people like Mark Zuckerberg, some of the people that created business at a young age, Apple, Steve Jobs. These guys were young, man. And that I think someone like Steve Jobs, 100 percent was a an instinctive entrepreneur. He was someone that could come up with an idea wasn't afraid to take the risks and and drive it forward. A lot of the people around him that were part of that early stages of Apple weren't necessarily entrepreneurs. They loved the idea of it. I think they loved the fact that he had the drive and some of them had natural businessman instincts. But what he did superbly well was he realized very quickly they needed guidance from outside. They certainly needed funding, but they also needed external guidance. They needed the maturity of a businessman or a businesswoman that had that level of experience to know how to mature the business. So entrepreneurs can go all the way up from the startup right through to the end of the curve where it flattens off and it becomes a systemized business with operations and all of those things. But 100%, if you're listening to this and you're kind of a young millennial and you're thinking, well, can I do it or not? If you've got an idea, if it's buzzing inside you and you're already stuck creatively thinking about how the business can work that's probably more of the entrepreneur inside you the key thing is not to be distracted by the shiny penny syndrome which i know you're going to go into a bit more detail as you're expanding on this but just because it looks shiny that tends to appeal to the entrepreneur side of you from my experience because i'm i'm a creator by nature i love the entrepreneurial side the businessman side of me i can do it but i'm not as ex- i mean you're the same as well harms i think it's, it's yeah. not as enjoyable as the entrepreneurial side whereas i know people that are really good at systemizing but they're crap at the startup this is why the truth about business is actually you're going to need to have both hats the startup and then the businessman running it on or the business lady running it on. But also you might need to have the right people around you as well. So I think shiny penny syndrome very much appeals to entrepreneurial type people who are creators who don't necessarily understand how to make it happen, but they like the idea of the shiny penny on the floor. Let's pick it up and give it a go. Let's flip the coin. Does that make sense? That makes absolute sense. And I actually found a quote online and I was trying to find who a reference to who said it, but I couldn't find it. But the quote is this and it says, All entrepreneurs are business persons. So all entrepreneurs are business people, but all business people are not entrepreneurs. And that almost summarizes what you just said there, because it goes on with a loose definition, you know, to describe it loosely, which is a business person is a person who works in commerce, especially at an executive level. So they bring a whole bunch of other tools, you know, the manufacturing processes, the production process, the logistics, all of those things that they bring the finance to the game. Whereas the entrepreneur is a person who sets up the business or businesses, often businesses, taking on the financial risk in the hope for profit. So there's the creator, the visionary, and then there's also the people around that visionary 
who are the executives who can actually put this into practice. Otherwise, they'll fall into a trap and we'll, we can discuss that later. And actually, actually, one of the traps is the failure rate. And I can also go into why businesses fail. So here's here's some entry level statistics. And it's almost in a scale, which is quite scary, which is number one, 20% of all small businesses fail in their first year. And that's a quite a common one. People know that. But did you know, number two, 30% of all small businesses fail in their second year. So often you think, oh my God, all right, amazing, 80% made it. Well, actually, no, there's now a 30% drop off. And then 50% of all small businesses fail after five years in business. Mm. Then finally, 70% of all small business owners fail in their 10th year of business. So imagine that scenario, though. And if somebody's at home saying, yeah, I'm going to build a business, I'm so excited to do that. Imagine spending 10 years of your life And statistically, there's a 30% chance that you'll survive and continue beyond the 10-year mark. Now, that's pretty deflating. Mm. Can I just jump in? Because I Mm. think this is quite important here. um, The term small business is broad, but essentially what I think we're referring to are businesses that are run by one individual or a small group of individuals. The client base is probably relatively small. It's local. The product or service is dependent on the economy of that group or that city, that town. And so as time goes by, they're the kind of businesses that, and again, this is me having observed it, worked with people, but also been through part of this myself, is they're the kind of businesses that are really on the left-hand side of the quadrant still. They're still essentially the self-employed model. They move from employee to self-employed, might have a few people working for them, but it's time for money type businesses. So that's why I think such a high percentage are still failing them because they haven't expanded on. They haven't got a product. They haven't built equity into the business such that they don't have to be there. And the minute they're not there or they've lost their passion for it, or they're now experiencing the same frustration they had in their job because the business hasn't grown, they haven't grown. I think that's definitely one of the main reasons from my observation i don't know if you've studied it at all yourself but that's just a experiential older generation observation over the last 30 years so i love that word and what i love here is you know what you've said from working with business owners and having gone through some of this yourself is you're almost describing some of the statistics i have on why so okay. as part of this, I wanted to research, okay, well, what's the reason here? And actually, we did this research many years ago. So if you're an entrepreneur, and you listen to this, we have to think counterintuitively. So one of the things we thought about uh, four or five years ago when we set up the digital marketing side of the company was, okay, why are businesses failing? And then what can we do to either support these businesses in order for them not to fail? And that was the sort of the counterintuitive approach we took. So we looked at these statistics quite a while ago. So I pulled them back up for 2019, which is 42% of small businesses fail because there's no market need for their service or product. That ties exactly what you said, where, where you said, you know, the local economy changes. There you go. 20%, 29% failed because they ran out of cash. Mm-hmm. That's a common one. That's, yeah. that's, that's a fundamental one, essentially. 23% failed because they didn't have the right team running the business Mm. in other words they couldn't step away from it so they are the business they're the left-hand side of the quadrant as well correct and it's also when we talk about team it's potentially there's ego here where you know i can do it all i don't need this person i don't need that person and often we get part of the team is a mentor and coach and often we get asked well i don't need a coach i don't need a mentor i've built i've started this business 
it's only when you're in year 10 and you lose your business, you're, you're thinking, damn, I should have just had a coach, a mentor who's gone through some of these things. Mm. Uh, and if you listen to one of our previous podcasts, we, we touch on that point. Uh, do you need a coach, a mentor? 19% were outcompeted. That's a, just a reality of business. New business is coming in. It's an old model. Been doing it for seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. And it's even my generation coming in thinking, yes. let's tear up the rule book. How That's can right. we streamline this? How can we apply technology to this? And how can we out-compete another business? And that can happen in multiple ways. It can be by, by introducing a piece of technology, they reduce their costs, reduce their, the price that the customer pays. Suddenly, another business is completely wiped out. And so, I think we're going to see a lot of that. So I'm down in Brighton about a week ago. This is my birthday period. And we're walking along one of the streets. And I said, see, look, closed, closed, closed closed to let to let we're talking like six or seven shops one of them was a jewelry shop that i've seen there for the last seven eight nine ten years closed another shop was a clothes shop another one was a uh, a food shop and i just thought blimey uh, I, this is serious most of them appear to be businesses that probably similar to what you just described here but but maybe out competed through online business Mm. I suspect that a lot of them, their business had, had just gone under because that plus the overhead costs. But it, it wasn't just, you know, occasionally you see one or two, but to see that many shops in the same stretch really surprised me. And I think a lot of these are reasons that you're talking about here. Interesting. Yeah. And somewhere like Brighton as well, it's, it is still such an affluent area. It gets yeah. tourism. So that's, that is uh, interesting. The next one is 18% fail because of pricing and cost issues. Something that you just alluded to there. 17% failed because of poor product offering. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a cool one for listeners at home. When, I, when me and Rose speak and wrote, you know, if you take Communicating with Impact, your three-day training event, yeah. that's a product. And one of the things I know you're, you're obsessive about is the quality and the standard of that product. Mm, uh, yeah. The quality of the standard of the team around you, how that's delivered, the room, the AV team. So that's pretty much why that, going to continue to grow because i know when students attend that you know they leave thinking damn that was good that was an that was an amazing experience right yeah you know wow because the product is great and i think once you've got a great product that spreads that the word of mouth spreads and the, and the business has greater legs then mm, very true uh 17 failed because they lacked a business model yeah. that's a common one 14 failed because of poor marketing that's somewhere, you know, we set our business up to help support companies who are in that situation. 14% failed because they ignored their customers. Now, I mean, that's, yeah. a, that's, <laughs> it's interesting, that's an interesting stat to finish on. That's definitely an ego play somewhere there. Well, these are the reasons businesses fail. So the reason I, I wanted to chuck this in here for this section is this is a reality. We're still in the part two. What is the reality of it? And the reality of it is, you know, 10 years down the line, there's a possibility that you've invested 10 years worth of finances effort time and there's no business after 10 years that's the reality that you're going to have to bear with now those are the technical stuff or that's the logical stuff but something you taught me quite a while ago you know when i when i came to a coaching session with you and we said okay so we're thinking about starting this business this business this business because mm. of that entrepreneurial spirit i have uh, one of the things you said to me is Right, go work out who you are and what role you can play in the business. Uh, I was hoping you could expand on that so the listeners are aware of this because I had no idea this existed before you just, you know, you mentioned it to me over a coaching session. 
So you're referring to the role as an individual. Just elaborate on that moment. So the role as an individual, dynamic role you play, yes. it's called yeah. wealth dynamics. So you want to pin me back to that. Okay, so so for the listeners, one of the things I studied probably back about 10 years ago was something by a gentleman called Roger Hamilton, and it's wealth dynamics. And each person's character, each person's... Uh, individual character can show up in different ways so in relationships you you'll have a certain style of personality that plays out as a human being you'll show up a different way in business it's completely different you might actually run a business very differently to how you operate on a personal level and without going into all the detail of it Harminder when I was listening to Harminder describe where he was at and all these different ideas it became really clear to me that this is your this is your classic entrepreneurial startup individual and i'm the same so i saw that straight away uh someone that likes to get out come up with ideas uh create new concepts blast it out there and if you're not that person and you happen to be someone supporting that person that can piss you off it can Mm. frustrate you so the wealth dynamics concepts without going into details in it essentially uh, comprises eight different profiles eight different dynamic profiles the creator is the person that comes up with ideas brilliant at the startup stage you need to get that idea out to the marketplace so you have a star a star is somebody that's and I, i'm a creative star so that's my two primary profiles very good in front of people able to communicate get the message out takes the creator's ideas spreads it out into the public then you have the supporter if you can imagine it like a quadrant a square we're top top right and then we're middle right supporter very good at networking very good at getting uh, getting to people on a one-to-one basis whereas the star is more national more global more audience supporters one-to-one brings people into the business brings people that may have good contacts and a network or money into the business and then channels them back to the star and the creator to make the business work then you've got the deal maker who structures the deal supporter can't necessarily get the numbers right but they can gather the people and the deal maker goes i can make a deal out of this I could put two and two together, get an opportunity here. Let's get the creator's idea. Let's sell the creator's idea out. The star can sell it at this, get a commission, whatever. That's your deal maker. Now we move down to the trader who is all about timing. So the the trader says to the deal maker, yeah, that's good. But why don't we do this at this time? Why don't we get in and make this opportunity work now? Not in a month, but let's do it now or let's hold off. So trading, making money through wealth as a trader is your classic sitting in front of the stock market or possibly picking up a property deal or finding someone that's interested in your business and getting the business ready and then selling it on to them at that stage. The deal maker sets it up, the trader executes it. Then you've got the accumulator is the person that likes to just sit on stuff. They're slower. They're, they are not really front facing. They tend not to be like to be out in front of the public. They're certainly not a creator, certainly not a star. They just like to own things. This is mm. the person that buys commodities, buys properties, buys land, sits on it. It's your Aunt Nelly. It's your Uncle George. It's the ones that, oh, yeah, I've been working all my life, but I've saved up money and I've bought these things. So they're not creative. They're not necessarily good at getting out to people, but they just sit, make money and, and let it build. And then the last two personalities, and if you listen to this, it's been interesting to see which one you think you fall into, is the Lord, which is the systemizer, uh, the the detail, the person that never speaks to anyone, the person that doesn't respond to emails uh, or phone calls, but they just sit and create spreadsheets and work out how to make the business work from a financial perspective. They're the ones that can shave 3% here, increase your margins over there, reduce the pro, uh, the, the product costs over here, uh, get the salespeople's expenses down by 3%, but that has a knock-on effect on the total business. They hate talking to people. They love looking at numbers. <laughs> and then you've got the mechanic, this is the operational part of it. So he will or she will take the creator's ideas, systemize them down, 
break them into components and make it logical whilst the, the Lord is the person that makes profit from the internals of the business. The mechanic puts those systems into place. Okay, so you want to be a speaker? Let's work out your timings. Let's work out your product line. Let's narrow that down. Look at the profit margins on that product line and uh, goes out to the deal maker and says, right, these are four products I've, I've uh, got into a, a spreadsheet. These are your profit margins. You can't sell for more than this and you can't buy for more than this. The Lord will say, okay, well, let's systemize that and go online with that. We can triple those sales by simply putting a little app in here that allows it to go out to the marketplace. So Wealth Dynamics has all these incredible different personalities. But if you start a business and everyone's the same, like imagine me, you and a whole bunch of other speakers, creators and entrepreneurs trying to run a business. It would freaking fall apart. And I, <laughs> I know that because I had that happen to me 10 years ago. We had five partners and basically all of us were creative stars with, I think, one deal maker. There was no systemizers. There was no accumulators. It was basically a bunch of people with loads of great ideas and, and it didn't work. The business failed. I love that. What a what a snapshot. I tell you what, that book is massive. So you just saved yourself reading that book. That's a great <laughs> snapshot. Uh, if, if you can guess, maybe you're thinking, oh, I wonder what Roe is. I wonder what Harms is. Uh, so I am a creator star. So when I when I've gone through this process to understand what I am and just to just to give you an, uh, an emphasis, once you identify what you are, what this model explains is, is that if you focus your energies on this area, that is how you will get the greatest financial reward. Mm. So if I'm a creator star, and that means I shouldn't be tinkering with spreadsheets. If I spent six months tinkering with spreadsheets, I instead should have spent six months coming up with creative podcast ideas where me and Ro as a creator star can jump on the podcast and get this message out there. Ro, what are you naturally? So my primary is a creator star. However, I have got an element of me which is a mechanic, and I think that comes from my old background as a civil engineer. But I do actually, I can sit down with spreadsheets, as you know, and kind of play with them. But my greatest power is taking an idea and articulating it out to a group of people or like we're doing here with podcasts. So that's that's where I'm in my greatest flow. So I learned this the hard way. So I went off and I started to develop my property portfolio. And after a while, I just got agitated. I was like, yeah, it's just another property deal. It's another property deal. But I loved being out. I love speaking about real estate, about what we do. I love generating money by being a speaker and creating products. And when I actually studied this, I realized, okay, make the money and then pass the money to people who can help me find the deals and to my team that can help me operate the deals. Let me be the person that creates the money to fund those and let the accumulation of that wealth just be part of the long-term plan. The concept of wealth dynamics being stay in your flow in what you do well and then bring other people around you to maximize that and i think that's really important and i think for anyone looking to move forward beyond this podcast is start to think about where you think your greatest flow is and that's where your business model should be steered around and i'll tell you what i love about this pod this podcast episode so far where we haven't spoken about business is about generating profit business is about making money revenue it's about all the things that need to be discussed and discovered and explored before you actually go on that journey because once you go down that once you go down that rabbit hole of I've got an idea I'm going to pursue it I mean this can consume you this idea or this passion or this exciting project going to go on that's going to consume you so you have to really spend some time beforehand and say am I the right person for this part of the business is this the business I want to get into am I aware of the risks all that I've just listed the risks there so you now know why most businesses fail. What can you do to counteract that so you don't fall into the same trap? 
Yeah, I mean, but while we're on that, actually, before we make that next step, I, I want to paint an, an even darker picture. Be prepared to literally not go on holiday for a year or two. Be prepared to spend a lot of time studying the marketplace for the for the business that you want to go into. Be prepared to potentially change the type of friendships you have because you're going to have negative people around you that won't support you through what you're doing. Be prepared to become a master of managing your finances and to taking, if you like, manage risks and to put things on the line like your time, your health, meaning you might have to sleep less on occasions. You're going to have to get up earlier and you may have to do conference calls at five, six in the morning. You might have to go out when you don't feel like doing it. You might have to sell yourself, sell your business, sell your your concepts, your ideas, go out and restructure things, put your property that you own on the line for releasing equity to build the business. Be prepared to stretch emotionally, physically. Uh, it's going to put a challenge and a stress on your personal life your family life in the sense that when you are building something passionately you may have to put even more work and time in at the start of a business than you would be in your job which is where so many people fail in the first two years because they go fucking hell this is i feel like i'm doing more work than i was in my job and and the truth is you actually might be because you're building a business to break through it's a little bit like breaking out of an egg you're sat there as this eagle in an egg and you're tapping away, tapping away, and you want to fly, but all you are, you're confined by this eggshell. And you don't know how many times you're going to have to tap at that egg before there's a tiny little crack. And even mummy eagle out there ain't going to open up that egg. You've got to break it, tap on it, chip out. There's a tiny little bit of light. That's year one, one and a half. And most people stop crack tacking at that point. And then you've got to keep going until you break the egg and then you've got to get out. And even when you've got your out there, you've got to stretch those wings and there is a point when even eagles need a push. Even eagles need a push to just get off the cliff and soar. And that's when the mentors, the coaches, and as you start to fall, you flap those wings and you go. And I'm telling you, it is not an easy journey. I'm sorry, Harms, but I had to get onto that one because otherwise everyone's going to go, well, OK, yeah, I can handle the failure. But actually, even to get to that point of failure, you'd have had to go through all of that. Most businesses fail in their first few years. Last year in the UK, I think something like 520, 530 businesses failed. So make no mistake, if you're going to go down this rabbit hole, be prepared to buckle up. I'm going to pause for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, okay, so we, we managed almost an, uh, just, just before an hour before we had a rogue <laughs> rant. Uh, I love that. But I think, you know, because when I, if you listen to this at home, when I was talking about business journey and the sacrifices you're going to make. I, I almost had a smile on my face because I've, I went through all of this. So I was like, yeah, you know, as I was saying this to the listeners at home, yeah, I've been through that. Oh my God. Yeah, I've been through that. So I had a smile on my face. You've listened to Roe where that's 30 years plus into the, in the business world. So I don't think it was a smile on your face when you said that, because it was oh. like, this is serious guys. If you're going to do this, you've got to be ready for this. I've had people screw me over. People owe me a lot of money haven't paid me for work I've done for them, business partners that weren't honest about their situation that then had a knock-on effect on the business, you know, clients that said, yes, we're going to engage you and didn't engage you, events, products that you create that don't work or you didn't market. You talked about failure of marketing. I think I told you one of the products I created 10 years ago, spent 50, 60, 70K to get it to market 
And what we didn't do is market it well. I was shit at marketing. I was a classic star creator, but I hadn't put enough value on having a marketing team. And it all fell apart. And because technology at the time wasn't right for that product as well, I let it go. Now, had we had that product coming out now, you know the product I'm talking about, we'd have smashed it. Mm. So timing was another issue for me as well. There's so many factors. And as much as it sounds wonderful what we've described, the failures don't, the percentages there, but it's the day-to-day physical effort required to keep it going until it gets to a point where you can step back from it and it becomes self-fulfilling, self-automating and passive, semi-passive or fully passive. You taking the audience to that dark place where I think it's important in reality because you know I can even recall a conversation me and my wife had many years ago now where the discussion was around a finance meeting and we're looking at each other and we're saying, uh, okay, if if this person doesn't pay, this person doesn't pay, how many months can we financially survive? And that's the kind of conversation as a business owner, sometimes you have to have. Now, at that stage, we didn't have employees. So we built, you know, we built levels of uh, safety now and safety nets because of that learning experience. But that's the kind of mm. places sometimes you, you, you're going to have to go and be comfortable with. Yes. And and the difference with that is that you're having that conversation because you're not reliant on a salary. Mm. A salary is just every month, but then it makes you lazy and you don't have to look at your finances. Whereas entrepreneurially, you do at the start. Well, you always do, but especially at the start where, as you say, you're asking those questions. You don't have like you've got the portfolio today. Back then it was like, okay, next step, next step. And each time you're building in that security. So the type of questions change. The level of that question changes to, as opposed to how much have we got to survive? How much money is in the business now to allow us to take it to that next level? Can we afford to take that marketing risk? Can we afford to take on that new new employee? Can we afford to go into that new joint venture and still allow the business to keep going? That's the kind of question that happens as you elevate to a different level. But remember, we, you know, we're taking you to to a dark place, but the outcome of this, the reality of this is the freedom of time. Yes. It's the self-direction the unlimited earning capacity, you're your own boss, you get a message out there, you've got tax benefits, you've got a different kind of lifestyle, you've got different kind of friends, and you're starting to build a legacy for your family, you know, your your kids may have a certain environment that you never grew up in, so this is the outcomes, and I don't know if it's weird, Ro, but I love, I love what we do now, I couldn't think of doing anything different with my time, with the way I wake up, and I seem to find the business owners that we hang around with all have the same feeling. Uh, yes, it's nervousness at the start, but now they're just like, yeah, I don't know why I didn't think about starting my own thing at the start. So there are, this is the positives, but it's important to have a real look at the situation because the thing that's happening now, we're just linking it back to the start of this part two, is everybody's saying you can get rich. Everybody's saying you can be a business owner. You can be a entrepreneur overnight. And I think the message here, before we move into part three, is that it doesn't happen overnight. But before it happens, well, what 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 do people need to speak to themselves about as we now progress into part three that says before we actually go and start to expand these multiple sources of income, whether you stay in the job, whether you leave the job, that's up to you. But you're going to continue to build multiple sources of income. What the what? What should we what should we we be thinking about? Because you coached me on this many years ago before I stepped out of my career, um, so I think it'd be valuable to the listeners at home. 
Yeah, and I think this is a nice part to just go back on what you just said, which is if you have watched stuff on YouTube, on the internet, been to a seminar, you're watching Instagram, whatever, and you're getting all this stuff about go, go into gold, go trade the stock market, write a book, uh, be a digital online marketer, go and do Amazon white label products and sell them there, get a kickback, whatever it is. It all sounds great. And each one of those, as you said, are shiny coins. There's so many bloody shiny coins out there now. Where do you start? So I think if it's all right, I just want to kind of finish the podcast off in this part three with questions. And if I do split it into business, real estate trading, I think if you could pick up the online business, because they're probably the four main types of opportunities for people listening at the moment, business, yeah. real estate yeah. trading online. And the reason I, and just to quickly jump in before you start the section, Rose, the reason I wanted to bring in the business failure and statistics around business is because everything we're going to speak about in this section is almost encompassed by business. So business True. will be one of the niche parts we talk about, but actually it, you have to treat all of these things like a business for it to be successful. So that's why I wanted to introduce that early. Yeah. Trading might be the one exception to that, depending on how you run it. But but okay. essentially, we've still got to ask the same sort of questions. So I'm not going to go too deep into this because I think each one of these requires its own podcast. And maybe we just make a commitment to do that so people can come back and listen to it. So I'll ask questions. Uh, then I'll pause. If you want to jump in and add to that, then it just helps build a bit of depth as well. So for those of you listening, let's start with business first. Let's, let's address this. And here's some considerations. Number one. Have you got an idea? Have you got a passionate idea? Something you've always thought about? Maybe you've watched a movie once. You go, oh, what if you create a business out there? Or maybe you were trying a product. You were going out. There was a gap. You've got kids. And why is it I can't find one of these? What if I create that? Maybe it's a business to do with kids. Maybe it's to do with a business with your current career. It could be an idea. You could be an inventor type character. I don't know. But something you've got a passionate idea about. That's really important. If you're going to start to develop a business, don't just pursue money i think that's the single fundamental mistake that i made over the years where i've actually had situations that haven't worked is because i've chased money first i was asked a question in front of about 700 people i was in singapore recently doc it was a panel there's four of us on the stage dr Roy, what's one of the biggest mistakes you've ever made and i said it's chasing money it's starting a business for money rather than passionately wanting to to build that business is that making sense arms yeah well and, I, and i've done it as well uh we i think we almost continue to do it it's because when you're a creator as well you're, you're coming up with these fantastic ideas and it's like oh my god it's going to make this much money six months has gone down the line and it hasn't even come off the ground yet so i think the passion is important because and i think passion i'm just going to add a tagline to that which is a passionate idea that matters as well i think that can make a difference in the yeah, world it, has, it matters it has in the meaning. world yeah it has sure. meaning to you it would have meaning to other people so when i think about you well i think okay you, you, things that you've been passionate about that have been successful is you know communicating with impact your personal development events the growth tribes community um your investment portfolio and the, and the other uh, private businesses you have that's stuff that you've been passionate about which has always led to a form of success and if you've not been passionate about it, I just maybe haven't seen it or I haven't heard that part of your story. Yeah, we'll come to real estate because that's an interesting one. Mm. So, um, OK, so passionate idea. Do you see yourself applying it? That's, you know, Think about the business. You've got an idea, but can you then see yourself applying that as a business, developing that as a business? Can you imagine yourself growing it, putting in the time, 
what would it involve? Picture it in your mind. What would it involve? What would the processes be? It's one thing. Like my 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 eleven year old Savannah had the idea of creating a a magic eye. I think she called it, and it's like a camera that looks like an eye. And you can have it in the house and it's sort of, you know, it's like a surveillance camera, but it's also a camera to take photographs. Mm. And, she, and I said, well, you know, how would you do it? How would you develop it? So it's as simple as that. It's, it's an idea. Could you develop it? Could you evolve it? Could you imagine yourself building it and growing it? And of course, can it be monetized? Is there an opportunity? It's one thing to have a great passionate idea, but is there really money in it? So I was, I was saying to her, how are you going to make it? Are you going to make it here? Are you going to hand make it? Are you going to pay somebody to make it? Are you going to do it yourself? Are you going to find somebody maybe living in a different country that's lower cost to make that? So it's the same thing. How can I monetize it? What's it going to cost? And of course, the big question, Harminda, is can you stick at it for two to five years? Because we know from the statistics, you've got to push through those first few years. And even then, 70% of small businesses failing year 10 and I think you said 50% small businesses in year five. To get to year five, we've got to move it beyond a small business. How can we make this something big enough so it doesn't fall into those categories? So it's passion. It's picturing yourself, growing it, monetizing it, sticking to it, applying it and develop, developing it, expanding it and ideally systemizing it as well. I'm just going to yeah. stop there. There would be major considerations at this stage. And I think they're essential because, you know, from a personal experience, uh, let me take one of the projects we worked on last year, which was we as a team said we saw an opportunity in the CBD market and we we uh, partnered with somebody who would create it, but they weren't necessarily entrepreneurial, business orientated. Now, we did that because we understood there was a arbitrage margin if we used to sell these products online. I mean, the margins were massive. But if I had visualized it and saw myself operating that part of the project in business, I would have just not done it because when we started to, to the, when the product started to unfold and the certain tasks came out and, you know, the, the operations managers delivering these tasks to us and said, well, you've got to handle this. I'm like, oh, I don't really want to do that. You know, I'm not, I'm not really prepared to start a CBD brand and stick with it for two to five years. So we just closed that business down. But if I had visualized that and we almost did a team visualization to start with, we would not have approached it and wouldn't have wasted uh, all that time invested in the brand production and the websites and the e-commerce shops and all that sort of stuff you have to set up in the background. Um, yeah, I wish we ha wish we did that podcast then before we started it. <laughs> I was like, well, stop there. Yeah. Let's put a pause on this one. I don't so, really feel like I want to stick to this. Spot on. I mean, even if somebody listened to this last, say, five minutes, if, if that was enough to prompt you to go yes or actually no, because we can have loads of ideas when we're in a career. If you stopped your career and went down that path and then realized it's not for you, now you get pissed off. You go back to work. I tried it. It failed. But actually, no, if you prepared, put the thought process first, it would have worked. And we could tackle this more on a separate podcast. So that's business. Real estate. So that's another wealth vehicle. We're talking about four member business, real estate, trading and online business. Real estate. OK, so with real estate, I would say you don't have to love it. You don't have to be passionate about it. So I do have a real estate business, but I'm not passionate about it. It provides a functional income for me but i know people are absolutely passionate about it i know people that are making a huge amount of money just by focusing on that and it's brilliant so are you prepared to learn it and i mean really learn it study it. i mean you and i have worked together on countless events now where we've run property events and people have signed up to do education going up to 20 25 30,000 pounds 40,000 pounds they're getting a mentor they're going through trainings because it's like any form of high level knowledge you have to go and pay for it you have to grow to that level but coupled with that is 
Building a property business means raising money, driving the miles, doing the research, sitting at the computer, finding the deals, developing different types of systems, choosing a strategy, finding business partners, going into the deals, renovating the properties, then going through the banking process, the legal process, all of that's involved. Does that appeal to you? Do you like the idea of it? Go attend at least a free training or a three-day training. You know, I, I run one which typically people, I think, invest about 500 to 1,000 pounds to attend. And having come through it, if they love the idea of property, great, they can go and build it. But better they do that if they don't want to do property and you know invest a, a grand, say, rather than go and do a property deal and lose a lot of money and don't have the heart, the passion for it. It is something you're going to have to do parallel initially to whatever you're doing until it creates a passive income. Now, you've done it yourself. So is there anything else you want to add to that, Holmes? Yeah, I think it's, it's all about uh, risk management here. So if, you, if you're looking at when I get into the online business, it's actually very, very low risk. But what I'm saying is take experiments and even take experiments with learnings. So just like Rose said, if you want to get into real estate or property and want to learn that in detail, go attend a workshop. If you want to learn how to set up a business or the business functionalities, or you've got a great idea, how do I put this into practice? Go attend a workshop, go commit 500, a thousand pound to start that process. What you don't do is say, yeah, great, I'm ready for this. Don't attend any workshops, buy a house, put a deposit, say £25,000 deposit, and just take that punt. That's not what you do. You don't do that with a business idea. You don't do that with property investment because there's now so much information, support networks, education companies out there who can provide that fundamental knowledge for then you to go on and build and actually make a success of it. So I think I, that's to add to what you just said. Robert. Okay, so on this note, what I would say is anybody that's listening to this that is interested in business or real estate, come and join us on the Growth Tribes community because within that community, there's definitely a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners. There's definitely real estate investors. We've even got real estate trainers and mentors in there. So it's a, I mean, come and just do a month trial to find out more. There's lots of good content in the vault. Ask questions on there because you'll get some practical insights into whether properties for you and the sorts of things you could do at this stage to get into the property market and get some ideas before you then pursue it any further. And certainly going to a training and, and if you ask people in the community, they'll give you an idea of the sort of companies that have trained them. So I think that's worth noting at this point whilst we're recording this. Yeah, I think that's a good next stage. And also with the online business stuff, before we, whilst we're talking about guiding and what the next steps are, I mean, we produced a 10-hour free training for that community as well, Ro. Yes, you and did. that's complete start to end. It's 10 hours long. And rather than go ahead and commit thousands, thousands, thousands of pounds to you know launching an e-commerce site, just have a watch of that 10-hour free uh, video. So it's completely free because we wanted to put it out there. We've had so many people spend money on advertising, spend money uh, setting up a website. You know, we've had people, oh, I've just spent £10,000 on my website. What do I do now? Uh, maybe you should not have built that website to start with. That's not your right. first point of call. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a, there's a 10-hour free you know video series there. And we go into quite a lot of detail in it. There's also a two-hour video series on career transition with one of the UK's leading transition coaches. So what to go through, the process to leave your job goes back to the first thing we did at the start. So I mean, a huge amount of content actually linked to this particular podcast over in the Growth, Growth Tribes community. Yeah, and, and I think what I'll do is I'll link all of that up 
in the show notes. So growthtribes.com forward slash podcast, and yeah. they will be in this specific episode's show notes. So don't worry if you're not taking notes of this, or oh, where do I go? The links will be there, and then you can select what you want. Great stuff. So last two, trading is all about trading commodities, trading options, trading stocks, currency trading, spread betting. This is uh, not a passive income. It's generating profit online. Funnily enough, I'm talking to somebody about this tomorrow. Uh, so it's generating profit online. It's, it's generating profit by getting and learning a skill. It's not a passive income. So this is stock market training, trading the charts. So questions like, are you disciplined? Uh, are you prepared to learn this? Are you prepared to go again to seminars and to learn a systematic approach? I used to trade. I used to teach trading. And I love it because it's that part of me that's creative. But I'm not a natural trader as a wealth profile. Funnily enough, that I was good at it. So it's finding a way to do it. And it does it fit your wealth profile? Does real estate fit your wealth profile? You've got to ask these questions. Um, how do you handle risk? Because when you're trading, you could be trading with 20, 30, 40, 50, 60,000 pounds or more or dollars or euros or whatever your currency is of your money. Are you prepared to put a risk out there where you trade that money and prepared to lose part, all of it, percentage of it? Again, so how do you handle stress? How do you handle the management of money? Are you the right personality for it? Are you able to sit down for one to two hours a day and give commitment in front of the charts, listen to the news, keep an eye on the behavior of the charts and the trade? All these things play out in trading. 85% of new traders lose their money in the first six to 12 months, something like that. So it's something you have to learn to do properly. And you must learn, you know, must pay and educate yourself to do it. So big considerations. I would certainly go and attend a free training possibly a two or three day training or go and follow an online program at this stage to get your head around how trading works and is it for you. Mm, I love that. And I've got nothing to add on that one, Ro, because I've always been fascinated with it. So I've read lots of books on that subject. I'm reading one now about uh, a trader, Renaissance uh, hedge fund. So I'm re I, I love the subject, fascinated by it doesn't feel natural to my personality. So it's something I might have to pick your brain about in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, when my personality adapts slightly and say, well, well you there, know, I want to explore that. There are more conservative forms of trading. I mean, there's there's something called scalping, which you do in minutes, day trading, which you would in and out of a trade in a day. Swing trading is a, is a trade that you're in and out of in a matter of, say, two weeks, three weeks. And then you have position trading, which could be in and out in three or four months. So depending on your personality, there are ways to trade shorter, longer time frames. I love it because it's a way to have a pot of money, grow it, and then take the money out of that and then put it into your business, put it into your real estate business. Just understand that it does involve commitment and discipline and money management and money risk management. So that's the key thing there. I love that. So the next one then is online business. So this is something that just didn't exist until the, the online, these amazing superstars appeared out of nowhere in terms of entrepreneurs. But it does date back quite a while. But but what can we do as the, you know, I guess the everyday person when it comes to online business? Now, it's quite expansive. So we, we're not really going into the niche here, but I think it is worth diving into this as a specific subject because there's going to be loads of people of my generation and also your generation who are saying, I, I want to learn these skills. So the number one question is, are you ready to learn new technical skills, but then also uh, have the ability to learn these skills rapidly and often so are you willing to go in and out of learning things online can change quite quickly with the control so if, if you take what i do for example online marketing so online marketing changes the moment the facebook algorithm changes the moment they change their their ruling on advertising 
we need to be adapting to that very, very quickly because you're looking after clients' funds, you're looking after advertising funds, you're looking after advertising strategy, then you have to be able to adapt because that's not your money, that's your client's money. So you have to be ready to learn new technical skills quickly. So I think, again, personality-wise, if you're somebody who's like, who gets quite frustrated when you just look at your smartphone and you don't know how to find the app, online business is not for you just don't approach it manage you know can you manage the process of overwhelm because there's so much information out there online at the moment in all sorts of regions and are you willing to put aside a budget for the success of this so there are some very free slash low-cost ways to start a business and test if a business is going to be successful but i think rose it's fair to say with any of this one of the things you're going to have to, with any of these uh, real estate, trading, uh, business, you're mm. going to have to be comfortable with allocating a part, a, a budget or, you know, a business loan or something like that to put and commit to one of these once you start to discover. Money, time, emotional commitment, conversations with family, loved ones, because if it's about staying in the job and then doing an online business, staying in the job and running another business, staying in a job and real estate investment, staying in the job and trading. Where does that time come from? Yeah. So as much as, yes, you're right, it's about money and it's about making a commitment there. In, the, in reality, the biggest investment is going to be your emotional and physical time into this. And if you're already busy, and that's a question we probably should have asked at the beginning in that whole process of are you prepared to give up some time to do this, you're going to have to make a decision how much time and let everybody around you who loves you know that actually, honey, family, kids, daddy, mummy is going to spend the next two years putting this much per week in time, but we're doing it for the reasons because different lifestyle, etc. It's a major one that I think we can't overlook that because that is, a, it, that is going to be the finances is one thing. And yes, it can put a stress, but you can manage that. You can you can logically frame that up and say, right, I'm going to invest this much time, uh, this much money for this period. And every time I do this, it's going to create this much return. But the one thing that's hard to manage is the time, the time you give up with the people you care about. But you're doing it for long term gratification, not for short term gratification. So I think that's the one other thing I would just make a point to everybody listening is decide how much time per week you're prepared to put into this new venture and commit to it, but also be prepared to let other people around you know that you're committing to it. And it might need switching off the TV, spending less time socially, not going out at weekends, dropping some of the friendships you've got to build the business for your family. I mean, that's the one other point I would make at this stage. So I love that. And I think you've actually answered part one to the next question I wanted to ask. Because I've covered online business. I think we should dive into that in detail. Um, and for those interested, there's that 10 hour free free course available there. Uh, within that community growth tribes so the question i wanted to ask you next is because what we've discussed so far is the tough questions to ask so we're in part three right now the tough questions to ask before you start and what we thought we'd do is we'll we we thought we'll give you the different wealth vehicles and the questions to ask within those wealth vehicles so which whichever one appeals to you the most or you know you may have a gut feeling saying actually i'm quite interested in real estate actually i'm quite interested in trading or i was thinking about starting an online business yeah. What are the things I need to consider? Online business right now, though, is the biggest shiny penny out there. Massive, massive. So, you know, even Facebook's advertising algorithm is putting a closed door to promoting that kind of advertising because it's so heavy at the moment. They don't want the Facebook feed 
full of just get rich quick online business programs and we're not this is not about them not working or it's you have to link back to the fact that these are businesses and they're going to take two to five years and they're going to take all of those sacrifices that Rose already described to make them work we're not saying they won't work they'll work but they just won't work instantly that's such a rare occurrence yeah so the question I wanted to ask in the fight the final bit of part three which is what do you need to do what does somebody need to do as a person to get ready for wealth creation so you almost you answered part one of this of that question which is first thing is just communicate with your family and say there's going to be a change and this is why that change is occurring yeah i think you know at this stage uh, it's a reflective process now because what we've done is we, we've hopefully pressed some buttons. We've got people thinking if you're listening to this and anything we've said that's resonated that actually tells your inner soul, your inner core, your inner voice. Fuck it, I just want to get out of my job now, my career. I want to make a change. Now start to look, but don't look for shiny pennies. Look for what resonates. Look for what makes you feel alive. Go back to the questions that I've, I've asked and the Harminder's asked and say, okay, the, you know, go into four categories, property, business, trading and online business and see which one resonates the most. If one of them does stand out, look into it further. And if you feel it's something you want to commit to, then have the conversation with family and say, right, I've made a decision. And can you financially afford to do it right now? Do you need to put some money aside, as Harminder talked about earlier? In my case, it was a case of like, can I stack some money aside and survive for a short period and see if I can do that? And if I can, brilliant. I mean, I, I was married at the time and my wife was working. So we were in a position where there was a little of additional income coming in. So when I went self-employed, we could get by. But as soon as I got my first contract as a self-employed person, I earned literally in a month the equivalent of what I earned in a year in my job. So in just over a month and a half, two months, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd doubled what I was earning in a year. It was crazy. So these are all things you've got to build in for, because if you make a decision, don't tell your partner and then it brings stress onto the family. This is going to leave a lot of emotional scars. And then you'll be coming for a coaching session with me on, <laughs> on the growth tribes. How the fuck do I get out of that? Uh, so that's what I think I'm going to leave at that note, because I, I think it's important to go away and for them to self-explore now. Based on what yeah, I, lo I love that. Self-explore. And I, I guess the other uh, almost a cliche phrase is just know yourself first. So I, I would say that one of the things that impacted me the most outside the logical part of you know real estate and property and online marketing and online business was that whole element of understanding who I am as a business owner and what's my personality and what strength can I bring to this project? And also the project, I just can't do all of it by myself. So I had to bring some people in who fitted the other pieces of the criteria. So I think that's the thing that had the biggest impact and almost the biggest wake up call. It took me you know, three, four years into the business to understand who exactly I was and what my role in the business was. So I think that's, I think I guess what I'm saying is know yourself first by answering all of these questions within these categories. And that should start to open you know, the, open the mind and the curiosity and the exploration. So I guess what was, I'm exactly saying what you've just said, Ro, which is start exploring. I think that's mm. where that's my I think I've got a parallel message to you. Yeah. And I th look, keep an eye out. Keep an eye out. We'll, we'll do a whole podcast on real estate and both of us run that as a business. So that's going to be fun. We'll do a separate one on business because obviously that's a passion of ours. And I think the online side, we can maybe tackle that as well. Trading. 
we could talk about that i might see if i can bring a guest on there's so much more we can do but at this stage there's enough here we've been talking for probably an hour and a half now this this is a really comprehensive deep delve this one yeah i love this one as a foundation treat this episode as the foundation of you pursuing now wealth creation and multiple sources of income because there's nothing to say in 10 years time you can't be doing business trading real estate because well you're an example of somebody who does that mm, i do true, know, i do true. two of those categories so yeah, there's no reason right. you can't do that and, and it's essential almost in today's world and today's market and the changing economy to have multiple sources coming in uh, almost critical now because things are changing so rapidly but that allows you to explore uh, adventure into new places learn new things and it's quite an exciting journey as well as all the dark things we've spoken about <laughs> so yeah I say, and, I, and actually, because it's such a big subject, I mean, I've just been speaking over the last couple of weeks to a friend of mine who who is a trader. He runs a trading support club online and teaches people. So he hopefully is going to put some material together for us to bring into the Growth Tribes community to have in the vault there where people go in and look at different material to start giving some tools. So that this, more of this is going to find its way into our overall community. As always... Everything we spoke about will be in the show notes. Once again, hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And this is myself and Ro signing out. We'll see you on the next one. Hello, it's Dr. Ro here. Harms and I would both like to personally thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Growth Tribes. And if you've gained just one insight, something positive that you're able to use on a personal level, on a professional level to help your life maybe even other people's lives, then we'd love it if you could take action on one of the following things. You can either simply subscribe so you don't miss out on any other great insights coming up in the future. You can share this podcast with close friends so they can also get the benefits of the tips and tools that we're sharing. Or it would be amazing if you could give us a review and let others know just how great this episode was. And finally, if you do have a question, don't forget to submit it on growthtribes.com forward slash podcast. Thank you again for listening. This is Dr. Rowan Harm signing out and we'll see you again on the next podcast. Yeah.